0: This is Lightning Power Lunch, Stanley Cup Final Edition, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app.
1: Clearly the first 10 minutes, I think we sat back a little bit. Well, definitely more than we wanted to. Then there was a time after we tied it at three. There was some in the second period and then and then in the third that I think we were almost content to like push this game to overtime. Again, some of that has to do with... Colorado and the way they were playing and some of it had to do with us you know having to fight our way back into the game Teams are going to push so I can't sit here and say there's a game we've played in the playoffs where the other team didn't push and it looked like we we're sitting back it's not like we were meaning to it's like the ebbs and flows of games and I'm sure Jared's sitting there saying well there were times in the second period where I think we sat back a, a little too much so uh there's ebbs and flows in it Use that word attack. That's a key word for us in our locker room about attacking the game, and we definitely could have done, you know, Stanford's right, we could have definitely done a little bit more. All
2: right, so that one was easy. Steve left us off the hook there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just on Cooper. Well,
0: Cooper's the only one who met with the media yesterday over Zoom, team had the day off. So unless Steve was going to dip into the well from – Go back to the archive, After game one, Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, He didn't want to do that, and I can't blame him because that's just more work, (laughs) and Mm. there's nothing wrong with that. It is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. We are going to get you set for Game 2. That, of course, is Saturday night at 8 o'clock, and you can listen to all the coverage starting at 7 right here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linnelli along with Dave Michigan, Steve 6 our producer. Brian Engblom will join us in about 30 minutes. We'll get his thoughts on the game Uh, coming up and what happened in game one you know it's interesting I was um, wrapping up on the post game show and Chief was with me and he usually does a couple of segments for the network post game and then he hops on to do the last call with Jay Retcher but and I believe you know Steve had mentioned to me because he was you know kind of multitasking and happened I think to catch Brian talking on on TV a bit and We were saying how, you know, it wasn't the Lightning's best game in Game 1, and I think especially you and I discussed this after the first, you know, 10 minutes, it was a lot better, and, you know, of course, the Lightning losing in overtime, but I think Steven mentioned that Ryan, you know, didn't think it was a terrible game by the Lightning, thought actually they played pretty well, and, you know... uh, Chief may have disagreed with that a little bit off the air. We were we were talking about it, but I, I'd be curious to get Brian's thoughts because I'm wondering if the first ten minutes of what happened in Game One maybe clouded some people's perception of how the Lightning played the rest of the mm-hmm. way, and that did they actually play a pretty decent game beyond those first ten minutes? I mean, you can't, it's it's like when people make that that comment partner if, if a team gets blown out they'll say well if they didn't give up 24 points <laughs> in the second quarter it was a pretty evenly played game well, yeah but well, you can't take away those 24 points that they no. scored in the second quarter and those first 10 minutes of the game or however you want to break it down that was a big part of what happened but I'm wondering if Brian saw enough there and you and I touched on this yesterday where he felt like you know it wasn't as bad as maybe some people thought I mean, certainly the score would indicate that, but there were more positives than some would assume after the way the game started. be curious to talk about that.
0: Yeah, so again, not to recap yesterday's show, but I felt that the final 50 minutes, let's forget overtime for a second, because that only took a minute and change, and the first 30-some-odd seconds, the Lightning were short. But in the last 50 minutes of regulation time, the last two and a half periods... It was way more even than in the first 10 minutes. Colorado probably had, I would say, a slight edge in dangerous opportunities. There were points when the lightning pressed. John Cooper's quote that we, or, or soundbite that we played at the beginning of the show referenced that, and there were points when Colorado pressed. He mentioned the end of the second period, which I believe I brought up yesterday. The Avs did have a push in the final 45 minutes. And what Coop said was, like, he said a couple of things in that quote. He said, first of all, maybe it looked like we were playing for overtime a little bit. That is not what they want. But he also conceded that, you know, there are going to be points in games when the other team presses. And how did the lighting handle it? And they held Colorado to zero goals in those two segments that he talked about. End of the second, then a little bit in the third. What I am taking out of it, though, is that if you're going to look at the formula, like what's the Lightning's formula? What we expect their formula to be. Would they love to, like, press the attack for as close to 60 minutes as possible? Coop talked about going on the attack. Sure. Would they love to make Colorado play most of the game without the puck? Sure. I don't think that that's realistic. What, what they are going to look to put together, though, is a formula in which both teams are going to have points when they press. But what you want to come out of, of a longer segment with is the scoring chance number is fairly close. Both in terms of number of chances and the level of the quality of those chances. Because if that is the case, Greg, then the dynamic switches to this question of the goaltending. If, if they can give Vasilevsky a similar type of workload, by workload I'm not talking about volume of shots, but I'm talking about like difficult saves that he needs to make. If that number is fairly close to what the Lightning put on Darcy Kemper, if we believe that the Lightning have an advantage in net, that is advantage Lightning. And I honestly believe, even though the Avs in the final 50 minutes had more shots, they had points when they surged, they probably had an edge in scoring chances because we talked about how the Lightning didn't do enough on Kemper. It's not like they had a huge advantage in chances after the first 10 minutes. That was actually a, a positive formula in my mind for the Lightning, understanding they could do even better than they did in the last 50 minutes. So maybe Brian's looking at it from that perspective, that you know he saw, he saw some positive signs there. But I'm going to come back to this. They don't track scoring chances, but it's more of an eye test. If we come out of game two and we're able to say, you know what? It was a fairly evenly played game in terms of chances. That should be advantage lightning. Should be. Based on the guy they have in net. Maybe it won't be. Maybe Kemper delivers a fantastic performance and levels the playing field, which is kind of what we saw A little bit in the Toronto series, which is why after that series, you know, you were very upfront. You're like, Jack Campbell impressed me in that series. Maybe we're going to see that from Kemper. But I think at least the the feeling is coming into the series, the Lightning have an edge in net. So if the workload for both goalies is comparable, that should play to the Lightning's advantage.
2: You know, I think you bring up up a really good point and a really interesting one. Because this notion of, you know, maybe the chances... The Lightning had. I don't want to say we're on par with the Avs. because I, they I thought the I thought the eye test, yeah I thought the eye test the Avs not only had more chances the, the shots indicated that, better looks, and we got into this topic a little bit yesterday about the Lightning or the the AVs defending, and we talked about it with Chris Johnston about is this something that that Colorado has shown they can do in the playoffs that they become a, a pretty elite defensive team. You can make the argument once you get to the Stanley Cup Finals, you're pretty elite at most positions. I'm not willing to say they are at this point. They had a lot of block shots. Can they do that for seven games against the Tampa Bay Lightning in a seven-game series? Time will tell. I feel like there's a whole lot more for the Lightning to give, probably all the way around, Dave, and even more so offensively, which is why I'm, I'm not sure, even though the Avs won game one, and maybe there was, uh, you get a better feel for what Colorado can do after having played them uh, even just one game, I feel like from here on out, game two on, we are going to get a better idea of how these two teams match up against one another. Because as maybe as well or as poorly as you think the Lightning may have played, and I'm, I'm talking to the people out there who may come down on, on both sides, we have seen in previous series where the Lightning lose that first game and then there's a big difference in how they play the rest of the way, let alone Game 2. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much stock we can put in Game 1 compared to, all right, I'm going to put a lot more stock into Game 2 because now both teams have had a chance to
0: feel each other out. The Lightning have taken some time to feel out the opposition this playoff year in, in Game 1s at the start of a series. Now, the Toronto game was a weird game. I mean, the Lightning had those seven minutes of power play time, and and that was a huge kind of pivot point early in that game, and the Leafs getting through that gave them a, an enormous momentum boost, and they ran away with game one. But I would say in all four of the series, the Lightning have, have played some of their least impressive hockey in game one now there are different reasons for why that happened like maybe the layoff we talked about with the ranger series and i talked about that segment early in the toronto series maybe that had a factor and even in game one against florida if you remember greg the last 25 minutes of game one were really good for the lightning once kucherov made that play on Ekblad, set up Perry, the Lightning tied the game at one, and then they kind of took off. But the first 35 minutes was kind of meh for the Lightning. Fortunately for them, the Panthers were also kind of meh. But maybe there is something to the fact that this Lightning team takes a little time to get a feel for the opposition. And I think that was kind of in in different words, what we heard from Coop and the players after game one, they tipped their, or they dipped their toes in the water in the first 10 minutes they were kind of waiting to see what was what was going to happen like they were going into game 1 with a feel out process kind of notion and the avs were having none of that right so i guess the positive sign for the lightning is that for the most part after game 1 and as the series have progressed they have they've gotten a feel for the opposition and and they've played really well I would say, you know, in the Toronto series, they had some hiccups after game one, and that series kind of shifted back and forth, and the Lightning didn't play particularly well in game four against Florida. They leaned on Vasilevsky, but the circumstances there, right? The Panthers were down 3-0 facing elimination, and they threw everything at the Lightning. But I think, like, the general trend lines to me have been, at least for the Lightning, this is a different opponent than they've had earlier in the playoffs, but at least for the Lightning... Game 1 they're kind of getting a sense of what the other team is all about and then in the Florida series it happened within game 1 but I think in these in in all of the series leading up to this one they've kind of figured out how they need to play against the other team after having been in the trenches that's a big thing with Brian I know he and Coop too Coop's like you can only learn so much on on video, but Brian often says it's like you really need to be out on the ice, and and feeling it in real time, to get a sense of what the other team is all about. And the opposite is also true. That that's true for Colorado as well. They're gonna have a better feel for the Lightning after Game One. But if we are under the assumption that Colorado did not see the Lightning's best, which is what John Cooper talked about post game after Game One, then maybe the Lightning can show the Avalanche something more tomorrow night in Game Two.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm expecting a, a better effort from the Lightning based off of not only what we've seen from these playoffs, but really the last couple of years. They've shown a, a resiliency of of not losing, making it a habit of losing two games in a row, and certainly with the Stanley Cup Finals present, that is something that you want to stay away from for sure, especially against a team like the Avs. We do have some questions we want to get to. We have not gotten to uh, over the last day or so that uh, – is fitting. Nick says, no reason to panic. Looked very similar to Game 1 and part of Game 2 in the Rangers series, and yet we were still right in the action into OT. Now two days to put together the proper game plan. One last thought. Kuch and Palat better than Makar and Tapes.
0: Well, I think he's talking about on the goal. Yes. He did did hit the nail on the head, though. On that rush, Kucherov and Palat on a two-on-two, created basically an odd-man rush tap-and-goal against Taves and Makar.
2: It was impressive. Was no and doubt.
0: that might be a situation we just talked about. It. Like, Taves and Makar now have a better feel for Kudrop and Pilat off the rush after having had that play go against them.
2: Nick also says, What do you guys see as being the biggest adjustment in Game 2?
0: Well, Coop talked about execution. I, I agree with him. I think that their execution coming out of the D zone was problematic at times. Not the whole game, but I mean, we, we kind of covered that yesterday. But I also said, and I believe this, that some of the Lightning's problems as far as generating chances offensively were also due to execution that, that wasn't quite there. I think the Lightning left some plays out on the ice in game one. Yeah, I do too. Acknowledging that the Avs did defend well, but the Lightning still left some plays out on the ice that if their execution gets back to its usual level, those would turn into chances, and then the question shifts to Kemper. What's Kemper doing with these chances? McKinnon had a chance in the third period to break the tie, Remember that play? He got loose in the slot. Yes. Big time save Vasilevsky. We didn't really have to see that from Kemper in game one. But before people start jumping down my throat and saying, wait, you said that there weren't many chances after the first 10 minutes. I didn't say that there were no chances after the first 10 minutes. But what we did not see were those sorts of chances from Colorado coming throughout the final 50 minutes were in bunches right they had one here they had one there that's why i feel that they had a slight edge but that mckinnon chance was a grade a chance vassy stopped it
2: i think two things will kemper
0: be able to make those sorts of saves who knows on lightning chances and i think those chances potentially were there for the lightning in game one but did not materialize because they were not executing with the puck at the level that they really needed to. What was the best D2 chance in the series? What was the best chance that
2: didn't result in a goal for the Lightning? Was it the Stamco shot early second that went blocker? Or he was coming down the left yeah, side? Yeah, so
0: I think a lot of these missed the net, honestly. Yeah. I mean, who was it yesterday that talked about Colton's chance? Colton. Yeah, Colton. Palat was open in the second period. I know I talked about that one, and then that the was kind of rolled right? off his stick. Yeah. Right. and went wide of the net those are two that come to mind right off the bat maroon had a chance in the little bit of time we had an overtime that was five on five maroon came out of the box and had an open look in front and and put a backhander wide <clears throat> excuse me so those are three attempts right there that missed the net that kemper didn't have to deal with
2: honestly if you're colorado And that's the type of performance you were going to get from your team defensively. You'll take that for the remainder of the series. Sure. Because you really, I don't want to say you you sheltered Kemper, but you you really didn't have to make him Mm -hmm. a huge factor. And that, that part's impressive, which is why I think it is going to be different from game two on. Because the Lightning have had to hear this now for two days. (laughs) <laughs> you know we got to well, generate not sure more they, shots they care about that no they don't they cancel out they cancel
0: out the white noise but but
2: there's there's been enough talk coming from them that they didn't create enough offensively and right. look, we don't want to we don't want to minimize what they need to do defensively too because mckinnon could go off yes they could have mccarr could could have himself a game so you can't lose sight of what, what was it that chris
0: said yesterday it was only the third time all year he's played 92 games now that mccarr didn't register a shot on goal now he had how many attempts did he have he had a bunch blocked
2: I did not think six
0: block three missed he the net.
2: he did I mean and he's going to because of how he plays he's going to be active that way but yeah I didn't if you were going to write up a script on how you were going to win game one and you were going to say look Makar's not going to score Dave if I would have told you that before game one he would not show up on the score sheet and the Avs I don't want to say would score four goals, but they would they would have a number of, of chances. I think you probably would have said that before the series started, before game one, and said, you know what, I really like the, ch- the chances of the Lightning winning game one. If yeah. you were to tell me the Makar wouldn't have any points.
0: Yeah, but you know what? Like, he was out on the ice for some of their goals. He made a good play on Nick Paul on the Nachushkin goal. He just didn't happen to touch the puck, but he forced the turnover. So sometimes these things aren't so neatly wrapped up. Right, but
2: he, he was also on the on, as we just said, the Palat goal. Yes, he, and he was. Got undressed I'm a actually bit looking there, at so. how many
0: goals was he actually out for. He was on the ice for the nutrition goal. He was on the ice on the five on three, of course, and he was on the ice for the Palat goal. So was he a so, plus? Was he a plus one? He was even because he he, the even. power play gotcha. goal didn't count. That's right. And he just happened not to like he could have touched the puck theoretically on. The five-on-three goal—he just—he was not one of the two guys to touch it before Lekkinen deflected it in. So I think the Lightning should expect that—that you know, Makar is going to continue to be active, and he probably will have a more noteworthy final stat line in terms of shots on goal and maybe and maybe points accumulated. He did play a lot again, though. I mean, his average keeps going up and up and up and up. This was an overtime game, but it wasn't a long overtime game he played nearly 29 minutes that's and that's that's
2: to be expected i mean we we said yeah he's he's averaging over
0: 27 and it's not like it's not like colorado has had like a triple overtime game like the penguins and rangers did that that skewed some numbers right off the bat i do remember one other chance by the way and i want to say this was in the first period maybe you can help me remember exactly when it happened but the Lightning had a two on one and a pass came to Sorelli and it went under his stick. I think it was in the first period because the Lightning were attacking the net to our right. And that's another one. Like if if he handles that puck, that's a chance. So there weren't a lot of them, but there were some, and I would say the same for Colorado in the final 50 minutes. There weren't a lot of them, there were some, but the difference was that Colorado was able to get their shots on net or get to the net. Like Vasi made a couple of plays with his stick, knocking pucks away. Yes, he did. That were really, I mean, those are, those are dangerous chances for Colorado. Yes, right. I'm not sure if they counted them as shots because he kind of knocked them away. One on Sturm. I think he did it to Com for once as well. And Lightning, when they had maybe some similar opportunities to force the goalie to have to do something, like we just talked about, some of their better looks didn't materialize. Either they missed the net or they didn't get a shot off. Hedman. Eh. I mean, Victor Hedman at the end of regulation. Could you you imagine what the storyline would be if Colorado gets a huge gift when Maroon puts the puck over the glass they get a power play with a minute 24 left in regulation of a 3-3 game to win the game in game one, and they allow a shorthanded goal with 10 seconds left. Champs find another way to win at the buzzer. <laughs> a- shorthanded. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but Hedman shot, like Phil said, he held on to it just a split second too long and in dove and got his stick on the puck. But you know what I would have liked to have seen? I would have liked to have seen Hedman force Kemper to make a save there.
2: Yeah, I would agree.
0: Force this guy to stop the puck? We've got a couple of people asking
2: some questions for Brian about Victor Hedman's play these, this postseason. And I'll I'll be interested to hear Brian's. Well, reaction. is that
0: based on this game one or no in general? The playoffs as a in whole. General. I think he's had in a general. good playoff. I did not think he had a strong game one. Yeah.
2: I, I don't think as dominant as we have seen the last couple of years in the playoffs. But I'm wondering what Brian is seeing from the back end Mm -hmm. when it comes to 77. Anthony says, before we get to Brian, knowing the team could have been a lot worse. A couple of unfortunate bounces in the end. We certainly need faster changes and high percentage plays, especially in the D zone. Avs don't look that scary. We can press them into goalie shuffling. Big rebound for game two.
0: Well, I don't know about the Avs don't look so scary. Uh, Talk to the Lightning defenseman when McKinnon is buried down on them. Yeah. I mean, between McCarr and McKinnon, the Lightning block 13 shots. And when McKinnon shoots it and you block it, even if it's hitting like a protected body part because you have equipment there, I'm pretty sure you feel it. He can shoot the puck hard. You know, we also, we've talked about players that are motivated
2: to win a cup. They, they all are at this point. But Nathan McKinnon, for a while, Dave, has had to hear, you've been really good individually, but you haven't done much in the playoffs. I mean, that, Yeah. we talk about dangling that character. Or at least Con- his
0: team hasn't. Yeah, I mean, Connor. He's McDavid, been pretty productive in the playoffs.
2: He has, but he, you know, he's, he's now, what, 26? And what was his famous quote? It was maybe the last year or so, and they, they asked him about, you know, like, you know, what have you accomplished as a player? It's been pretty impressive. And and I'm paraphrasing. He's like, you know, I haven't won diddly squat, so to speak. And I think he understands that Mm -hmm. I will be judged, just like all these guys, what I do in the playoffs. The Lightning have had a a lot of guys perform, in some instances, beyond expectations. I mean, did you see the stat with Kucherov? He joined,
0: what, Mario The 90 points in a three-year span. Yeah,
2: Mario Lemieux and, and Wayne Gretzky? Yeah. I mean, that's... You want to talk about elite of the elite. I mean, that's arguably the two greatest players to ever lace them up. And
3: Kucherov you know, is right there.
0: Maybe the most impressive of the three is Lemieux. Because Cooch has had the benefit. Look, he's put up the points. So it's all impressive, right? But the Lightning have had three deep runs getting into the Stanley Cup final. And Gretzky's Oilers, I mean, I think he did it. He did it like, what was the, because they had to phrase it three years in a row. I think he had three different segments of three straight years. Like they over like (laughs) one, two, three, and then two, three, four, and then three, four, five, or something like that. Because they made the final in 83 and lost. And then they made the final in 84 and 85. They made it to the second round in 86 and, and then got back to the final in 87 and 88 and won it. But for Lemieux, one of the, like they won back-to-back cups, the Penguins, but one of those years on either side, like they didn't have as deep of a run. And so either he was like incredibly prolific in the two years that they, I'm assuming the three years included their cups in 91 and 92. But he had to be either like incredibly prolific in those two years, or he did a lot of damage in the one year that they didn't win the cup because they didn't have as deep of a run. You know what I'm saying? Like, the more games you get, if you're a player of of that skill level, like you have more of an opportunity to get lots of points. So I'm kind of thinking like Lemieux had one one of his three years was a shortened year, and even did he even play in '93? Is wasn't he sick at that point? So. I'm testing your knowledge here. Maybe you can look up the stat and tell I'm me looking which three Lemieux years right now in the playoffs it was. So
2: he, I don't know if three years he's had. Was it 30 points or more? So well, in, you just
0: have to hit 90. Adjust <laughs> easy for me to say, right? The gotcha. stat is 90 plus points in a three-year playoff span. Gotcha. So 90, that's what did. 90, 91. His first the, the first cup.
2: 44 points in 23 games. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, 91. Well, remember 91-92, Dave? He missed some time. That was, I think, the... was that Broken
0: wrist or something.
2: Slash, 34 points in 15 games. So he and was
0: already... What were the two numbers? 35 and 44? 78.
2: He had 78 points. So he just needed 12 runs. in the, uh, and in he the got, third year. And 92-93, and I think that's where he missed some time. He had 18 points in 11 games.
0: All right. So that's what he did. So he yeah. he basically did, he did most of <laughs> his work during the two deep runs. Right, right, right. Because that's, that's what it, it really is. Like you're saying a three-year span to get to 90-plus points, you either need three deep runs or two incredibly prolific years or you to, need to offset be a shorter run. <laughs> right, right. That's You just, know what I'm those, saying?
2: Those numbers are just – I mean, Gretzky's saying They thing, are crazy. And, just, and Kucherov, the fact that he's put up those numbers, not to that level, but – Attaining the same outcome has been, it speaks to how good he is. And again, for me, we'll get to Brian here. Maybe it's a big part, maybe it's a small part, however you want to define it. Mm -hmm. I think the power play has a lot to give. You know, and I think the Lightning now can make an adjustment on how to attack Colorado. I think a lot of that just might be getting shots through. But, you know, the Lightning always have a way of adjusting a bit and, uh, you know, getting pointer back. In that mix, too, he has another game now feeling pretty comfortable in that slot. And, you know, reading off Kucherov again, I expect the power play, I'm hoping at least, is a bit more dangerous, so to speak, in game two if they are able to get some chances.
0: Well, and I wonder, too, like, as Point now has a game under his belt, if that will help him on the power play, even. They were taking away Point. The the first power play the Lightning got at the beginning of the game, when it was still 0-0, they had a couple of shots on that one. Yeah, They, they were zeroing in Colorado on taking away the pass to point, which means that somebody yeah. else has to shoot, whether right. it's Cooch, whether it's Hedman, whether it's Stamkos. That's the that's the, the the problem if you were trying to defend the Lightning power play, and I guess we could say the same about the Colorado power play, which has a lot of different weapons from different areas on the ice. Yeah. But if they're going to try and close off point, the pass to point, then somebody else needs to get a puck to the net. I think that would be fair.
2: We'll talk to Brian Engblom about that when we return. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lally. Steve Erstink is producing. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.
3: Hey, it's Seth Kushner, host of The Block Party, and it is the most wonderful time of the year. The Block Party doesn't stop until the season does, and the season is rolling on. This week, my guest was John Buccigrass from ESPN. I talked to Bucci about what he sees in the future for Ryan Callahan on TV, what Steven Stamkos could possibly do post career. We also fanboy out
1: over Kucherov's passing, and I asked him about Thumb Wrestling The Rock. It's John
0: Buccigrass on The Block Party with Seth Kushner, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Power Play.
2: Glad you're with us here. Getting you set for Game 2 Saturday nights. Joining us right now. We've had him on throughout the year. Always enjoy his analysis, lightning broadcaster, former NHL or Stanley Cup champ. That would be Brian Engblom. Actually, I actually have a couple of questions from our audience for Brian, so we'll get to that in just a little <coughs> bit. Brian, first off, thank you for coming on. We always appreciate it. We were talking off the air about how hot it is both in Tampa and in Denver. I'm curious because we talked about this on the show yesterday uh, in game one. It felt like at times the puck was exploding off the lightning stick. That could just be the way they were playing. But I'm curious, it's always a challenge this time of year, but especially with these temperatures the way they are, how did you see the ice conditions in game one? And, And what do you expect moving forward if the temps remain this hot, which they probably will?
3: uh yeah i i didn't give a lot of thought to the ice condition to be honest with you um our vantage point was way up in the, at the top of the arena so i didn't get a good look at it while while the game was on when i came down at the end of the game to do um you know some hits uh and some interviews and things like that i didn't notice any big difference uh so i don't know i, I didn't ask any of the players specifically so i don't really have a, a you know a, uh, an in-depth report for you there of how it was or it wasn't the, the difference here though is that the air is so dry so that even when it is hot it's very different than tampa you know when when we get to you know the third and fourth games those are huge dehumidifiers that uh, the, the league will pay for to you know to pump um, moisture out of amelie arena those things are a huge necessity heat is bad for ice humidity is deadly for ice. So I don't think it's as bad here as it is in Tampa.
0: Brian, I've heard you say many times that you need to get a feel for the opposition by by being on the ice against them. I'm wondering from your perspective because you've had to to do some analysis watching off a monitor in rounds 2 and 3 when the Lightning were on the road now you're in the building on the road and you're in the building with lightning play at home when you're not broadcasting, how much more of an advantage is it for you to be in the building, seeing it with your own two eyes as opposed to off a monitor?
3: Yeah. Um, it, it helps a lot Dave, for sure. Cause there is literally a, a feel I, I watch, I, I get an overall feeling um, just watching the players individually and how they react to uh, opposing players. Like for, Defenseman, that's where I always go first, right? Being a former defenseman. So I'm always thinking, okay, how much sleep did those lightning defensemen get last night, thinking about uh, Nathan McKinnon coming down 100 miles an hour <laughs> and Cale McCarr, you know, doing the same thing? And how am I going to, you know, defend against them uh, individually? It's all It's great to have a plan and they have a plan of how they want to defend against those as a five man unit out there. But it really comes down to what do I have to do? What Victor Hedman does is different when Zach Bogosian than than Jan Ruda or anybody else. Uh, And that's the key is you have to know what you can do and what you can't do against these guys. So uh, that's the part of the feeling out process that sometimes people don't appreciate. They haven't played each other since February. They hardly play each other during the course of the year. And they really don't know. And even though Nathan McKinnon's not a rookie and they've played against him before, uh, that uh, refreshing your memory can be painful if the first shift coming down, he turns you inside out and uh, goes in and has a great scoring chance. It's not a great way to start your confidence of a series, is it? So those are the kind of things that happen. And then, of course, the forwards are testing themselves. of How can I beat the defenseman. Uh, you know, when one of their big defensemen, you know, hammers you into the wall, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy. And now I've got a welt on the side of my head sort of thing. So all those things, you know, come into play. Um, and literally the feel of each arena. Like, I, I've always been that way. There are some buildings I didn't like playing in and others that I did. And so then you come here and you add in the altitude, which is a big factor. And I'm really going to be curious about the game on Saturday to see, because I watched that uh, Edmonton series and uh, the announcer said, you know what, even Connor McDavid looks like he's laboring out there at times here in this second game here in, in Colorado. So I'm interested to see what it's going to do to, to the Lightning
2: on Saturday. Brian Engblom joins us here on Power Lunch <clears throat> on Lightning Power Play. Brian, what did you make of the Lightning's performance in Game 1, and what did you make of Colorado's performance?
3: Uh, Colorado didn't surprise me. Uh, I actually <laughs> I wasn't talking a lot about it. I had a really bad feeling, to be quite honest with you, going into Game 1. I had a feeling that they were going to come out 100 miles an hour uh, because it's not just McKinnon and McCarr. Um, because what they do for their team— is give them incredible confidence and ex- literally exhilaration. Um, we with, with the way McKinnon attacks, I the best way I describe him is, is a wild mustang. That's what he reminds me of: sheer power and incredible speed. And it's like when he comes up the ice, it to me it looks like the ice is almost unusable behind him. Like he's chopped it up and like you know it's scorched earth, and then. Cale McCarr comes up the ice, and you, it, it's completely silent. It's like he's hovering above the ice, and he barely even cuts into it. Two incredibly fast players with great skill, but have a totally different feel to them. And so I knew, and, and what that does is all the guys on the bench, they see a McKinnon grab the puck. The fans go crazy, and it, it, makes, it makes my adrenaline go just watching them. So you know it does the same thing for all of the other lines, and that's why they play so fast. As a team, we had that with Larry Robinson, Guy Lafleur, you know, 100 years ago when we were playing in Montreal. I mean, I remember sitting there, it still gives me goosebumps thinking, flowers going, look at him, look at Larry. But from behind our net, up the ice, and it's like, it it transfers so much energy. So that's an overlooked factor of what they do. And so I thought the Lightning actually did a good job. They knew they were going to get overrun at times. I thought the defense played with a lot of calm. I thought that they moved the puck pretty efficiently overall, considering the pressure they were under at times. Uh, the goals that were scored, yeah, there's mistakes. Um, I thought Vassey should have had the first one, although I, I watched the replay and, and I watched uh, McDonough kind of go through his field of vision for a second. Maybe he lost it, but usually it's a stoppable puck. And the, the second one was five hole, which normally he doesn't let in. But I guess it did go off of Bogosian's stick a little bit still. I found myself thinking, okay, two not great goals for Vassy, Very unusual. And then Paul gets one, so there's two to one, three to one after the first, and then they tie it up. And the building just went flat. And Colorado just went flat. And I looked over at the bench, and Bednar in a real stern way is going, all right. I mean, you could just I can't hear him, but I know he's going, all right. He wasn't coaxing. He was going, all right, settle down. Get this thing back under control. I could tell by his stern hand movements and the way he was kind of pushing down with it, like enough of this stuff, right? So he had to grab them and get them back under control because they were losing it. And that's typical of what the Lightning do to teams in the playoffs, right?
0: Speaking of Ben Nar, he really didn't try and get McKinnon's line away from the Sorelli line. And I mean, he didn't them out there every time Sorelli's line was out there he just didn't really seem to be bothered by it what did you make of that and and how did you think the Sorelli line did when they were matched up against McKinnon's line
3: uh smart man first of all I think that has to do with look the coaches are doing the same thing it's a feeling out process and he's going I'm I'm not going to hide my guy Um, If you and some, you know, some coaches have to do that. They're top players. They have to really keep them away from checking lines, which means to me, they're uh, a half notch below, you know, other big time star players. So I think he looks at Nathan McKinnon goes, I don't have to hide him from anybody. This guy's a bull. And he just challenges them and goes, yeah, you're going to have a checking line. This is nothing new. These guys are good. Go out there and play. Beat them. Uh, I looked at the scoring stats. And the, the uh, Sorelli line was massively uh, outscore, um, outscoring chance, big time. It was like, uh, I don't have it in front of me right now. I think it was 0 and, and uh, 10 for Hagel and like 3 and 12 for Sorelli and Kalorn in that ballpark. So scoring chances were heavily in favor of the, of the McKinnon line. Having said that, um, our guys got some points and they were plus 1, plus 1 and 0. So scoring chances are one thing, results are another. Um, and that's the way it's going to go. Uh, you're trying to limit a star player. And the X factor there was Nachushkin, who was probably their most, certainly was their most effective and their most dangerous player. I think his scoring chances, if I remember right, were 12-1 and one when he was out yeah. on the ice. So it was Nachushkin that was doing most of the damage on that line and not so much Sorelli. You guys can probably hear the sirens in the background. I <laughs> promise they're not coming for me. <laughs> as far as I know,
2: we'll just let that keep going. That's to, tremendous. You mentioned yeah. um, you you mentioned oh, they're coming after Nachushkin, I think they want to. He, he was so good in game one. <laughs> well, I'm wondering. I had
3: to get out of the, I had to get out of the hotel, <laughs> Greg, because it's right. literally a hundred year old hotel, and I think that's when the Wi-Fi was set up. So it doesn't work too well. <laughs> Well, well, actually,
0: you, know, you you said they were coming from natrushkin They're in Denver. They were bringing him a specific escort to the game right. to that's make right. sure he arrived with no problems. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, I'm I'm wondering. No do- I think I think Mission Espo talked about this on the broadcast. That it felt like when he shot the puck, meaning natrushkin that Vassy maybe had some problems just in general with his shot. Did you notice anything different with natrushkin The way he was releasing that maybe gave Vassy. Uh, maybe some issues, or was it just maybe a little bit of an off night for the Lightning netminder?
3: Well, I guess he he just yeah had something different. I don't know. Only Vassy could answer answer that question. Really, I I, I can't tell from where you know we're watching from up top. All I know is that every single shift he got himself into a really good scoring position, and he's playing with some guys who have some, some incredible talent to get him to puck at the right time. And he was in that zone that goal scorers get in where I'm going to get it and I'm going to shoot it and I know it's going to get in the net. And look at the play that he made in the fake shot which just absolutely froze Vasilevsky and he passed one touch it over to uh, Burakovsky and Burakovsky had virtually the entire net. I had to watch that in the replay and go, oh, my goodness, because I wondered how Vasi was so out of position. The first replay I saw was like Vasi had to c- try to come across like 12 feet. And even though he's so good with his legs, he can't cover that much room. And then when I watched the replay, I went, wow, what a great play. And so obviously, Nichushkin had gotten Vasilevsky's attention. And he came out to cut down the angle. And that means he had to give up something on the short side. And Burakovsky, I mean, uh, Burakovsky had virtually the entire net. Nichushkin just plain beat him. So good for him. That's what hockey's all about.
0: Brian, what did you see from the Lightning as far as what they were able to do or not able to do in the offensive zone how can they get more pucks to the net how can they make darcy kemper more uncomfortable maybe than he was in game one
3: well you know what early in the game um i was surprised actually at how good colorado was defensively um i i kept watching when the lightning got in the zone and they manned up. They went man-to-man man from the top of the circles down, and they gave nobody anything away from the puck. So that makes it really difficult to get to the inside, to get to the slot, to get to the scoring areas. And I, I'm guessing if I'm Bednar, I'll bet you in his, in his speeches to his team, he's like, okay, we're going to play this good defensive team. And everybody's going, boy, what a great defensive team this Lightning is. huh?" And he's probably going, we're not too bad either, are we, guys? Let's show these guys how good we are in our end. And that's the feeling that I got in the first half of the game. Like, oh, you think Tampa's good in their own zone? Well, oh, watch this. That's exactly the feeling I had from Colorado. So, And they were intense. Their feet were moving. They switched off incredibly well. They were organized. And so that made it a, a nightmare for the Lightning forwards early on. Until Paul was able to score that goal and relieve a little bit of that pressure, like, how are we going to do this? Like, and also they were very active going out to the points. I think the lightning are going to have to adjust a little bit because they like to go automatically back to the points. I brought this up before in the playoffs, you know, teams make adjustments and they realize, okay, for the forwards, like to go down low and then right back to the point, like right away and get some shots through well. Every series, the forwards started adjusting and they started getting on Hedman and Bogosian and Ruda and everybody. So as soon as they got the puck, they have to unload it somewhere. And it's really hard to get it through to the net. And it's necessary to get shots from the point and get through to the net in order to give rebounds and your forwards a chance to move around and create something off-scramble situations well they weren't able to do that very much so i think so if you get it back to the point and those guys are under pressure that means that their forwards are up high which means there's more room down low in the corners so that's where like the maroon line should be good there but that means that the other line should do it too keep it down low use behind the net draw them back down into the corners and then create a little bit of room for your guys up top So they can get some good hard shots through and then you get those scramble situations. So we'll see if they start trying to do that on Saturday.
2: Brian Engblom joins us here on power lunch on lightning power play. Brian, this question came from one of our listeners. They knew you were coming on and they said, can you ask Brian if he knows of anything going on with Victor Hedman? He's made a lot of uncharacteristic plays and turnovers this playoff season.
3: Uh, I don't know that he has an injury or anything. Um, I think it's just situational. He's human like everybody else. We expect so much out of him. But, yeah, there's been situations where he's forced a few plays. Uh, I think you have to appreciate that because he is who he is, uh, that they will get on him faster than any, anybody else on defense because they don't want to let him loose either. And, by the way, I really liked his first couple of shifts because I know he tried really hard, and he did get up on the play with the puck and had some attack. I think it was his second shift out there and he went deep into the zone. I went, yes, that's what I want to see. I don't want to just hear this whole series. Look at Kale McCarr. Look at Kale McCarr. Look at Kale McCarr. When you have uh, Victor Hedman capable of doing the same things. I've always been a big believer. Yes, you have to have a system. Your star players win you series. End of story. So if you're going to restrict, and I'm not saying that they are, but if for me, there are times in a game, put it this way, where I would go and tap Victor Hedman on the back and go, all right, big boy, we need you to go. We trust you to know when to do it. You don't do it every shift. You don't get caught up the ice, but we need that exhilaration that I was talking about before. Just go buddy. And we'll go with you. And it'll change literally air in the arena. So I saw him trying to do that a couple of times and I went, yes, that's what I want to see. And I think, uh, if I'm him, I'm going, yeah, I don't want everybody talking about Kale McCarr either. I can do this too. And same thing with kooch I hope Kucherov holds on to the puck a little bit more instead of, you know, one touching the plays that he does. When he's on the attack, he passes so much, right? And he's brilliant. But he also has a lot of turnovers because They're going to cover everybody else. They know his game. They know he doesn't carry the puck that much. He wants to pass to everybody else. So they're taking away his best asset by covering everybody else, which means, Cooch, skate with it. Use your moves. And he finally did. I mean, did he turn Taves inside out on that pass to Palat? That was their best combo of Makar and Taves uh, that they scored that brilliant goal on. And, boy, you want to see more of that because Cooch held on to it and did a little toe drag and turned them inside out. Yeah, that's what I want to see, even through the neutral zone.
0: Brian, I'm just looking at the the time on ice in game one, and this kind of is a follow-up to to your last point. So on the Colorado side, McCarr played almost 29 minutes. Landis Cox over 23. McKinnon's at 22 and change. Even Taves is at 25 and a half. All those guys are more than the highest minute guy in the lightning headman was at 24 24 and we saw fairly consistent rolling of the line so what I'm, I'm getting at is like belmar perry and maroon all played over 10 minutes but none of the lightning forwards were over 20. do you think that was a function of the altitude and and so much talk about keeping your shifts short or is there something else going on here and do you feel that The top guys in the Lightning do need more ice time, essentially.
3: Uh, No, I thought it was really, really smart management by Coop. Uh, Yes, it has everything to do with uh, the altitude, I'm sure. Um, But at the same time, he wants to get everybody involved. It's a game one. And again, you need all of your guys involved. Everybody is important in the playoffs, which means the maroon line, um, the fourth line, has to get their shifts in order to get their feel going too. You don't want to have to wait till game three until they seem like, okay, they're starting to get a feel for how this series looks like, you know? So that's important for that reason as well also. So I think that, uh, but the the kicker would be the altitude for sure. So it it depends on how the game is going Um, and it could very well be different once they get to to, uh, Amelie. Um, I think it probably will be. You might see Victor's time go up, But Whatever the circumstances are in the game, Victor Hedman is obviously a lot, lot older than Cale McCarr, right? He's over 30, and McCarr is still a kid. Was he 23? And he skates with such ease. As I said before, it's like he's barely even touching the – it's just his style. He's blessed with and has developed an incredible style that looks like he's not even breathing hard if he's been out there over a minute. And for Victor, who's 6'6 and two hundred and thirty pounds, tremendously conditioned athlete, but it takes a lot more fuel to run that engine. So it's different. Every everyone is different. Like every some guys have really hard miles on them. Like you look at Stammer. Stammer, you know, is fast, but he has to work hard to do what he does. Sorelli's engine's going all the time, right? But you can just see the effort that he's putting out all the time. Cooch is more like Makar, right? I swear Kooch could play 30 minutes if he wasn't at altitude. And because he barely gets out of second gear most of the time. So everybody is different. And Kooch knows that. Like he knows his players really well. So I think there was a lot of things that went into ice time and it'll get adjusted uh, uh, game to game as necessary.
2: Last question uh, for me, Brian. Uh, what did you make of Braden Point's performance? You mentioned the altitude, and especially for somebody who hasn't played in a while coming back in that environment, what do you think we'll see from him in game two? Do you think there will be a, a difference there conditioning-wise, and do you really have to limit a guy like that's minutes, especially on the road?
3: Well, what Coop said after the game, you know, I said I think he played something like 18 minutes, and he said I was actually a little surprised because I had just had to just wait and see how he was you know, and how he felt as to how much I could use him so that kind of tells you normally he's what a 20 22 minute guy or more if you need him so he was careful with him you don't want to burn him out I think you know there's a trust factor there it's his leg somehow right and he's been skating great the last couple of days even leading into game one he was skating great so but it's a trust factor and at any point when you have an injury like that you're afraid as a player is like one little tweak like oh I can feel it again he didn't give any I watched him really closely every time he had the puck never gave any intimation to me that he was having any problem with anything so we keep our fingers crossed uh, about that all the time I thought he played really well um, he was a little off a little rusty his timing was a little off on the attack uh, a couple of misplays on passes and things that he normally doesn't do He'd been out for a month. What the heck, right? At the at the heaviest time of the year, it's like you know jumping into a washing machine at mid-cycle when you've been out so long and everybody else is going like hell. So it, it's difficult even for a guy as you know with such tremendous skill as Pointer, but he had he could go pedal to the metal. He was pushing it, and so he does the same thing for the Lightning as Nathan McKinnon and McCarr do for for uh, Colorado as far as that. Oh boy, let's go. Look at Pointer go, right. Every it lifts everybody. So I was I was just saying thank you, thank you. <laughs> Braden points back in the lineup because I seriously, if he'd have been out of the series, I would have put the odds of them beating Colorado way, way, way down. Because even now he's on the third line with Paul. You can use the Sorelli line and the Paul line, especially with Pointer on it, which which Coop has done a lot. If if Sorelli had already been out there, and then out comes McKinnon then the Paul line came out a lot and because pointers on there, he can skate with McKinnon and Paul's, you know, real solid player and Ross Colton can really skate too. So he's got two lines, not just the Sorelli line that he can use in key situations. And that's a great fallback and it's more complete with Braden point on that line.
2: Brian, outstanding stuff. As always, we always enjoy talking hockey with you. I'm sure we'll do it again. Once the series returns back to Tampa and, Enjoy game two.
3: Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Enjoy it.
2: You got Thanks, it. Thanks, Brian. All right. Brian Engblom, a Lightning Broadcaster, former NHLer, Stanley Cup champ. He's seen it all. And yeah. I think he's glad points back in the lineup, as you just heard him mm-hmm. say there. And I think everybody else is. It, it will be interesting. You know that, that second game Mish as, as we have talked about I know you brought up the point, you know, maybe that that day after that first game, maybe even that second game how do you adjust to the altitude and, you know. Yeah.
0: See. I mean, I, I heard that from him, actually, with McDavid, that that comment was made. Now, Edmonton played every other day. So the Lightning get the extra day, basically, in Denver because we have the extra day off between game one and game two. But I guess I, I would have expected to hear that the longer you are here, the more you get acclimated to the altitude. The lighting of the day off yesterday, but they had a hard practice the day before game one. They played game one. They're going to have a practice today and then the game tomorrow. So I guess we'll see. I wonder how much of... of If we're going to say that Edmonton didn't have a lot of jump in their game two. some of that might have been related to how the game unfolded too. I mean, that was a shutout win for Colorado and Colorado kind of clamped it down defensively, sometimes that can make you look slow as well as we saw from the Rangers, right, when the Lightning locked it down defensively. So I guess my hope would be that if the Lightning had any adjustments to make with the altitude at the start of the series, that should be over and done with by the time we get to game two. And then after that, both teams are kind of, be in the same boat right like they're both going to be away from denver for the the games at amelie and then back in denver at the same time so i guess we'll wait and see we'll we'll talk about it after the weekend how the lightning looked in terms of their their i'll use the term conditioning it's probably not the right word but like how they are dealing with the altitude in game two now that they've been here for almost a week by the time the game is played
2: Well, partner, I can't wait for Game 2, and I know we are looking forward to that and having uh, something else to talk about on Monday. You know, We'll have uh, Game 2 to to break down, and and hopefully the series is a little bit different. Appreciate you this week, and uh, have fun on the call tomorrow. We'll talk then.
0: Talk to you tomorrow.
2: All right, thanks to Steve Erskine, thanks to Brian Engblum, and all our guests who joined us this week. We'll be back in this setting on Monday, noon to 1. Don't forget, we've got the pregame skate show at 7 o'clock tomorrow night followed in with the pregame uh, network show at 7.30. Dave and Phil with the game call. And then we've got the last call after the game. And then Bobby Fenton will be on the airwaves on Lightning Power Play at 9 o'clock recapping game two. So keep it tuned to Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linelli. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. Have a great Father's Day out there, too, if we don't get a chance to talk to you. And uh, we'll do it again on Monday on Lightning Power Play.